guys would agree that only a fool would try to run a marathon without the proper preparation and training to do that thing. Just like exercise, day-to-day -day discipline will prepare our faith to endure the good and the hard. So how do we equip ourselves to get in shape and stay in shape for the entirety of our race? There are any number of things that we could cover during this next session, but we're going to focus on three essentials, and they are God's Word, prayer, and body life within a local church. We'll talk about God's Word now, and then after dinner we'll come back and finish up. Richard Baxter, the Puritan theologian, wrote, It is a most lamentable thing to see how most people spend their time and their energy for trifles while God is cast aside. He who is all seems to them as nothing, and that which is nothing seems to them as good as all. It is lamentable indeed knowing that God has set mankind in such a race where heaven or hell is their certain end, that they should sit down and loiter or run after the childish toys of the world, forgetting the prize that they should run for. Were it but possible for one of us to see this business as the all-seeing God does, and see what most men and women in the world are interested in and what they are doing every day, it would be the saddest sight imaginable. Oh, how we should marvel at their madness and lament their self-delusion. If God had never told them what they were sent into the world to do or what was before them in another world, then there would have been some excuse. But it is his sealed word, and they profess to believe it. We have God's word right in front of us. And as Christians, we profess to believe it. So according to Baxter, we are without excuse. We have everything we need to run the race and to run it well. But are we disciplining ourselves by it? Or does it lay unopened on a table or shelf from Sunday to Sunday? If we profess to believe it, do we even really know what it says? Do we know exactly what it is that we're professing to believe? If we're not reading it, do we really believe it? Because in it, as we said this morning... Peter tells us that like newborn infants, we should long for the spiritual milk, that by it we might grow up into salvation. Again, how much do newborns long for milk? Marie? <laughs> All the time. It's their lifeline. What happens to them if they don't get it? That is how we are supposed to long for God's word. Do we? Do we long for it like that? Do we long for it like it's our lifeline? In 2 Peter 1, 16-21, Peter states that he was an eyewitness of the majesty of Christ at his transfiguration. Peter was there and he saw it all firsthand. 
But he goes on to say, we have something more sure or more fully confirmed. And he's talking about scripture. John MacArthur writes, Peter is ranking scripture over experience. The more prophetic word is more complete, more permanent, and more authoritative than the experience of anyone. More specifically, the Word of God is a more reliable verification of the teachings about the person, atonement, and second coming of Christ than even the genuine first-hand experiences of the apostles themselves. Peter goes on in that passage to say, You will do well to pay attention or to heed as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This word that we have more fully confirmed is indeed the very word of God written by God through the hands of men. And we would do well, as Peter says, to pay heed to it. We need to be in God's word daily if we are to faithfully run the race that he has set before us. Why do I say daily? Does that sound legalistic to say we need to be in God's word daily? Think back to what Peter said. We should long for it like a newborn longs for milk. Marie, does a newborn eat just once a week? Mm-hmm. How many times were you up last night? <laughs> they don't eat just once a week and then they're good. They don't eat just once a day and then they're good. Newborns eat frequently throughout the day and the night. We should be like that. I'm not necessarily telling you you have to get up during the night and read your Bible. The longing, I mean, if you wake up during the night, might be the thing that comes to mind. might help us get back to sleep. We should be like newborn babies, nourishing ourselves often from the spiritual well that is God's Word. Peter ranked God's Word over his own experience. Oftentimes we find it easier to read what someone else has written about God's Word or their experience of God's Word rather than reading the actual Bible. And that can be helpful on occasion. But we shouldn't be reading those things in lieu of Scripture itself. People are fallible. God's Word is infallible, and we would do well to rely on it above anything Man or woman has to say, sorry. <laughs> Did you see yourself in <laughs> No, someone was walking by looking and that, it just caught my attention. We can't rely on something that we don't know. We talked in session one about Hymenaeus and Philetus, two individuals that had swerved from the truth. It's very easy to swerve from the truth if we don't know what the truth is. It makes it very easy for us to be deceived. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.14, he said, Continue or persevere in what you have learned and have firmly believed, 
knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul lists four ways in that passage that the Word of God equips us. It teaches, it reproves, it corrects, and it trains in righteousness. One of the greatest dangers that Christians face is false teaching or deception. That started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. When the serpent deceived Eve, deception comes to us through that same enemy, Satan, the father of lies can also come through the voice of others, requiring us to always be listening with discernment, like the Bereans did when they searched the scriptures to make sure that even what Paul was saying was true. Deception can even come through our own voice as we counsel ourselves wrongly, buying into whatever the culture happens to be telling us at the time. This is why God's word has to be the most important voice in our lives. We have to be regularly orienting and reorienting ourselves to the truths of Scripture for going to avoid the unbiblical but popular theology that is out there all around. You guys have probably heard the example before of bank tellers that are trained to recognize counterfeit money by studying what the real thing looks like. Similarly, we can learn to recognize counterfeit theology by making a careful study of the authentic word of God. The only way we can know for sure that the teaching is biblical is if we're studying the Bible for ourselves. So Paul says that scripture is good for teaching truth. He goes on to say that it's also good for reproof and correction. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 14.12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. When we follow our own paths through life, we put ourselves in danger as we stray farther and farther from Christ. As fallen humans, even though we are redeemed and forgiven, we still have a tendency to want our own way and to turn away from God. That's what comes naturally to us in the flesh. It's a bit like a disease um, that you guys are probably familiar with just from the last, I forget how many years ago it was. But it's called listeriosis or circling disease. It's the disease that caused the problem with the bluebell ice cream a number of years ago. But when an animal is afflicted with this disease, it will first turn in a certain direction, and then it will just keep turning. And it's usually fatal. It, they'll turn until they're incapable of doing anything else, and they'll just will be going in circles. Sin does that same thing to us when it's left unchecked. We'll continually lean in the direction of sin until it becomes a downward spiral that leads to death. The world is always telling us things like, believe in yourself, follow your heart, 
um, live your best life now or listen to your dreams. But the Bible tells us that our hearts are deceitful above all things. So we cannot listen to the world and we cannot listen even to our own hearts. Vaccines are available in some countries for listeriosis, but the results are questionable, so they aren't often used. We, on the other hand, have a very effective protection against the disease of sin if we will use it. And that is the living and active word of God. As the psalmist said to God in Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need the plumb line of truth to reprove and correct us. Without the truth of scripture embedded deep within us, our best life and our dreams will only lead us to the grave because the disease of sin has so twisted our hearts. Paul tells us that God's word also trains for righteousness. The Bible speaks over and over against such things as complaining, jealousy, lust, fear, anxiety. But day after day, we find our emotions, our thoughts, and our words following after those things. We must allow ourselves to be trained in righteousness to be willing to be coached and even commanded for our run through the regular consumption of God's word. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22 to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. We have to pursue righteousness. It won't happen any other way. And we pursue it through the intimate knowing of God through his word. So how can we know God's word? Well, you have to read it. We have to read it for understanding. We have to study it. We have to meditate on it. We have to memorize it. We need to do those things daily. We said before, running is our daily work. Running this race. So perseverance for Christ has to be our daily work. And as a part of that, being in God's word has to be our daily work. Peter said we would do well to pay attention to scripture as to a lamp shining in a dark place. His word is a light to us in a dark place. And this world is a dark place. And it's growing darker at least it seems to be, every day. That reminds me of the light of Arendelle. She's smiling. Did you know I was going to say that? Well, our conversation earlier. Earlier. Yeah, that Galadriel gave to Frodo in The Return of the King. She said, May it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. And God's word is that for us. This world... As I said, it's a dark place and growing darker every day. We need the light of God's word to illuminate the path for us so that we can run unhindered and not fall over things along the way. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
Would you want to run in the pitch black darkness of night over unknown ground without some kind of light? I wouldn't. But running with God in the dark is safer than running alone in the light. The psalmist goes on to say in verse 131 of Psalm 119, he says, With open mouth I pant, because I long for thy commandments. The open mouth is a picture of hunger and dependence. In Psalm 81.10, God says, Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. As believers, we should be hungering for more of God's word. We need to feed on it daily. And when we do, he will be faithful to fill that hunger. Psalm 1 says of the righteous man, His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Is God's word a delight to us? It should be. George Mueller once said, The vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and our thoughts. Think about that. The vigor of our spiritual life, the strength and stamina that we have to run and keep running will be in exact proportion to the place that the Bible holds in our life and thoughts. How much vigor are we going to have? Donald Whitney in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, wrote, We find in Scripture how to live in a way that is pleasing to God as well as best and most fulfilling for ourselves. None of this eternally essential information can be found anywhere else except the Bible. Therefore, if we would know God and be godly, we must know the Word of God intimately. Can we honestly say that we know the Word of God intimately? If not, why not? If what we need to know in order to live a God-honoring, God-exalting life, the life that is best for us, if that can only be found in the Bible, why would we not immerse ourselves in it with obsessive regularity? Why would we not carve out opportunities and make them a priority? Do we really honor it as the very word of God to us? Do we truly believe that all we need to know is contained within the pages of Scripture? Is it of that level of importance to us? Knowing God's word intimately sounds difficult and time-consuming. When often our days are already full of things that really don't seem optional. Working, loving our husbands, raising our children, homeschooling for some of us. Cooking, laundry, the endless piles of laundry. I know, I get it, been there, done that, still doing it. 
But none of that will matter in the long run if we are not faithful to the God that has saved us. If we have been truly saved, then we should long to be with and to be like the one who saved us. If we are truly saved, we should have a desire to know God through his word and to be in his word often. If having a desire to be in God's word is a struggle for you, and I would say it probably is for everybody in this room, myself included, at different times. There are seasons where it's harder than other seasons. But if that is a struggle for you, I would say earnestly pray and ask God to give you a desire to be in his word. Because that is a prayer that I firmly believe he will answer. About a year ago, I came across something that's been helpful to me regarding personal study of scripture. And it was in Glenna Marshall's book, Everyday Faithfulness. It's a simple formula to follow when studying through God's word on your own. And you can use this formula to study any passage of scripture, taking as long as you want to or need to, to get through it. I've included the steps and the symbols that she gives in your notes, but here's the gist of it. Pick a text. Pick a passage. Uh, it could be a few verses. It could be a chapter. But read through the text a few times, making sure you know the background for it, because context is always important. You don't want to take it out of context. So study Bibles or good commentary are helpful for that. A good, reliable commentary, I would stress that, because there are many, many out there that aren't that great. Read through it a couple times, and then go through the following steps. Make a general summary statement of what you've read, just a sentence or two. And then answer, what does this teach me about God? Then what does this teach me about man? What does this text teach me about Christ, or how does this text point me to Christ? And you might say, well, what if it's the Old Testament? Well, John tells us that Jesus is the Word. So if Jesus is the word, then all of scripture is going to re reveal something of him or in some way point to him. I think of in the Old Testament where we're taught about the temple and the tabernacle and the furnishings therein. So we have the golden lampstand, but Jesus is the light of the world. We have the table of showbread, and Jesus is the bread of life. So there are all kinds of things in the Old Testament that will point us to Christ. And then, how can I apply this text to my life? And finally, make a second general summary statement about the text, and it should be different. After you've taken the time to study through and to answer these other questions, you're going to have learned things and seen things that you didn't see at first. So your second summary statement will be different than your first one. Using these steps, you can work through any passage of the Bible over the course of a day or a week. Donald Whitney wrote, What value is there to reading one, three, or more chapters of Scripture only to find that after you've finished, you can't recall a thing you've read? It's better to read a small amount of Scripture and meditate on it 
than to read an extensive, sec extensive section without meditation. So maybe read a chapter or even less a day and answer these questions. Or you could stretch it out over a week and you could read the same passage every day and answer one of those questions. You could follow this process for study on your own or you could team up with a friend or a group of friends or you could use a completely different process or method, whatever works for you. But we all need to find a way to be consistently in the Word of God. I know that many of you um, probably use a daily Bible reading plan, maybe have in the past. I don't want to discourage that. I think there is um, there's great merit in reading through the entire Bible. But only if we internalize what we're reading as we're going through it. If we read it and just check off our square for that day and move on, and later in the day you can't even remember what you read that morning, it's probably not the best use of your time in God's Word. Author Clive Thompson says, If you want to internalize a piece of knowledge, you've got to linger over it. So if we really want to internalize God's Word, we can't just be quickly reading it and checking our square and calling it good. If your daily reading plan tempts you to do that, you might need to take another look at it. We must take the time to dig deep and digest what we're reading. Sometimes the accountability of a group can be helpful. I would encourage you all to be involved in a group Bible study that requires you to do homework. And I would encourage you to actually do the homework. We can learn great things from each other as we share with one another about what the Holy Spirit's teaching us in our own study times. Um, we can help each other to correct any errant thinking that might come up. We can answer questions. Um, clear up misunderstandings as scripture tells us iron sharpens iron and one man or woman sharpens another when was the last time you had coffee or dinner with a friend and you discussed what you were learning in scripture oftentimes the conversation is all about what happened at work or what crazy thing our kids did or our latest health woe or God forbid what our husbands did that we weren't happy about. But how refreshing would it be and beneficial for us if our conversation revolved around God's holiness, around his goodness and our gratefulness to him for all, all that we're learning in his word. But for that to happen, we actually have to be in his word. We talked this morning about the hortatory, or let us, passages in Hebrews. Hebrews 10 contains one of these passages, and the author writes in verse 23, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. How can we hold fast to what we believe if we don't make a regular study of what we believe? Many years ago, early in my married life, I told a Mormon friend of mine that I didn't believe the same things that she believed. 
only to realize later that day when I kind of reflected back on the conversation that I didn't really know what she believed. I was just parroting what I had heard my whole life that I knew that I had been told that uh, Mormonism was a false religion, that it was a cult. And so obviously I didn't believe what they believed, even though I didn't know what they believed. But that realization led me to study what they believed. And then it led me to study a little deeper of what I believed. Because I wanted to know that when I said to her, I don't agree with you, that I really didn't. And I wanted to be able to tell her why. We need to know what we believe with certainty or we'll never be able to hold fast to it. God's word must be a priority for us if we're going to persevere. Glenna Marshall sums this up. She says, we must train our hearts to default to scripture now so that when life is unbearably hard, we'll turn to our Lord out of a long-practiced habit. Perseverance now feeds our faithfulness later and sustains us for future trials. God has given us the means we need to persevere today and 20 years from now and every day in between if we will be faithful with it. I'm going to stop there so we can get ready to go to dinner. Um, but we're going to come back and we'll finish up. We'll talk about prayer and we'll talk about life within the local church. Um, I think we'll go ahead and close in prayer and then we'll sing that song. God, your word is so very important. God, is the way that you have spoken to us. May we never, ever take that for granted. Help us, Lord. I do pray that you would give each of us a strong desire for your word. Help us, God, to long for it like newborn babies long for milk. Oh, Lord. God, in this moment, we thank you. We thank you for your word, for without it, God, we would truly be lost. We wouldn't have a clue of how to run this race. Thank you for the instruction that you have given to us in your word and the encouragement that comes in it to us through it, Lord. Help us to be faithful, to read it, to know what it says. Reveal yourself more and more to us through your word. Help us to know you better as we read your word, as we digest your word, Lord. God, we pray as the psalmist did, oh, that our ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then we shall not be put to shame, Lord, having our eyes fixed on all your commandments. God, feed us through your word. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.